So, good morning. We are going to read from Matthew 1, 18 through 25. The angel visits Joseph. And this is a really wonderful scripture and time of year. This is actually my favorite time of year. And I want you guys to, to listen. Because I, you know, the season, the reason for the season is definitely our Lord Jesus Christ and our salvation. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with the child from the Holy Spirit and her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's say our scripture declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our hearts pursuit in our life's practice. All right, kids, let's go. I reached over to Tiffany just a minute ago before we got here, uh, right at the very beginning, and I was like, Tiffany, go ahead and dismiss the kids right before you do your scripture reading. And she's like, they're dismissing with me. I was like, well, let's change plans. Uh, <laughs> that's probably important to change that plan up. All right. Well, thank you so much, Miss Tiffany. And if you do have your Bibles or your Bible apps, go ahead and leave those open. We're going to actually kind of refer to Matthew chapter 2 in just a little bit. Now, I'm going to be doing a couple of things. I'm going to be talking a little bit more about our white envelopes because we have just a handful more. And then we also have, uh, as well, just a few other things that I want to be sharing with you. But let me just say, it is good to have you here. I hope that all of you guys will be back for this evening as we get together and have just a really good time enjoying ourselves uh, as we do our white, white elephant game tonight, our white envelope going on at the same time. I want to just ask you guys real quick, are y'all getting confused about the white and the white and the white and the white and all this stuff? All right. So, white Christmas around here, uh, let me just explain something to you. White elephant and white envelope are not something that I came up with. Now, I'll, I'll go even further. We got kids out of here, all right? So, you know, they also call the white elephant game Dirty Santa. Did you all know that? How many of y'all knew that before I just said that? Did y'all know? 
Because dirty Santa is like you run and you grab somebody else's gift and you steal it, you know, dirty guy Santa or whatever. But there was no way in the world as a church I was going to say, we're going to play dirty Santa because you have no idea what kind of thing it conjures up in your mind. So it's got to stick with white. And the white envelopes is actually something that was come up with um, from a Reader's Digest story a number of years ago. And that is, is that there was a guy who just did not enjoy the commercialism that had kind of overtaken Christmas. Can any of you guys relate? I mean, it seems like you barely even get the uh, things going in October before you're already seeing Christmas trees and various things like that. So because of that, um, this particular individual did not enjoy Christmas. He had just kind of sworn it off. And so what ended up happening was his wife did something very special and very specific. She looked around and she had seen that uh, I believe it was a hockey team, and it may have been a wrestling team, but somebody that their son uh, had competed against was from a poorer district, and in the process of them competing against one another, that individual saw that those kids who were working just as hard and deserved just as much support uh, did not have the gear that was going on in their own son's situation. And so what they did instead of buying a Christmas gift for her husband is she went and bought a bunch of new wrestling gear. Now I'm thinking about it. I think it was wrestling. And she bought a bunch of new wrestling gear and sent it to that particular school district as a donation. And then in a white envelope on the Christmas tree, um, they uh, kind of, she memorialized what she had done. She said, hey, listen, there's no gift for you under the tree, but there's a white envelope that belongs to you. And so this guy who didn't want anything to do with Christmas and the commercialism grabbed that and his heart was so touched that it became a tradition and they began to tell about it and it became something that grabbed and uh, a lot of attention and took hold for a lot of people. And so we do our own version of that and we do that with the white envelopes as we try to be a blessing down to the orphanage and the people that are there uh, and the orphanage in Gethsemane uh, in a little town called Morelos, just there near Eagle Pass. Now, you may or may not know this, but there are two Moreloses uh, in different states in Mexico. Uh, we go to the one that is nearest to Eagle Pass and also near to Piedras Negras, which is uh, just across the border. So if you wonder where the white envelopes come from, now you know a little bit of the story. And let me just share with you, there are a handful of white envelopes still on the Christmas tree. If you were not here last week, I want to encourage you, grab one of those white envelopes because... Uh, it is an opportunity for you to be a blessing. As I said in the, uh, the things that we sent out and also in the things that we're dealing with uh, as I share today, this is the mechanism where you can take what is going on in the consumerism idea around Christmas and take it instead into the idea of shifting towards giving rather than getting during Christmas. So I encourage you to take advantage of that. Now, I do want to clarify something about the white envelopes. We have, I think, maybe around 20 or 25 left, and we're getting very close to the end, so please grab one if you're going to be a part of it. One envelope equals one gift. So if you're wanting to give a couple or three, don't grab one envelope and give extra gifts to that child. Instead, grab an envelope for each gift that you want to purchase. 
And I know that that's a little bit confusing, but it all goes down to the idea of wanting to make sure that this child doesn't receive more than the other, and this is the only way that we can make sure that each child receives the same amount. So one envelope equals one gift. And there's some that are on there that have stamps, and those are for shoes, which are just a touch more expensive. So please get involved. Please get a, a white envelope or two or three or four or whatever it is that you feel led to, to do. And uh, then that way we will know that we've got all of those kids and, and their workers all covered. Now, I want to just take a moment and tell you that this is for good or bad. We had actually uh, at least three young people within the last month that are no longer living at the orphanage. And so some of you guys got a text this week. We tried to make sure and connect with you. And I want to be very, very clear that sometimes this is a very good thing. Sometimes it's not so wonderful um, because, you know, maybe they're going back to family members who haven't necessarily been the best influences or whatever it might be. But I do want to share with you, if you received um, a text, if you are unclear about that, um, we just want to make sure that you know that nothing is wrong on your part, nothing happened on your side that was bad. It's just simply that in the midst of that time that we had received those, made up the white envelopes and kind of parsed them all out for each child to receive what they're going to receive, then uh, there were at least three young ladies, I believe one was adopted and then two went back with family. Uh, two sisters named Yamalef um, and then um, Adriana and then Miranda, I believe, got uh, adopted. So because of that, there's one of those that's very, very good. The other is kind of yet to be seen. But we do hope and pray that that goes well. They have had so many opportunities to be a blessing in that place that we want to make sure and be a blessing to them. So if you have any questions, I'm going to ask Miss Roseanne to wave here. I believe Miss Alicia is out there making sure everything. Oh, there you are. Very good. She's right there in the back in the sound booth. Thank you, Alicia. Get ready for a wild day, by the way. Uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, <laughs> Alicia's like, oh, boy. Yay. Great. Uh, so Miss Roseanne is back here. Miss Alicia's back there. And if you guys have any questions, y'all let them know. They can clarify anything for you. Also, I want to make sure, Miss Roseanne, once again, if you'll wave one more time, she has two uh, Starbucks gift cards to give away today. Uh, if you are here for the first time or second time, third time, and you have not yet received one of those gift cards, see her. And so there's good news and bad news. This is a total roll of the dice because I have no idea. I think one of those is really pretty high dollar. So just give it away. Uh, whatever it is, it could be up to, well, I won't say how much it could be, but yes, you do have to give it away, uh, Miss Roseanne, you do have to pass that along. So if you're here for the first, second, or third time, see Miss Roseanne, don't let her take off with that Starbucks gift card that's got your name on it, okay? So thank you, and uh, thanks for being here today. All right, so thank you, Miss Tiffany, for sharing. If you have your scripture still open there to Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2, also want to pull the curtain back just one more time and tell you that today, uh, in the process of uh, uploading my uh, presentation, it got eaten. And so uh, at about 5 after 10, we realized that uh, the presentation that had been uploaded was suddenly gone. And uh, so get ready, Miss Alicia. We have no idea what we're doing here. Hopefully it's there, and uh, hopefully we're in a good place. All right, let's keep moving. Let's go on to our scriptures, and let's begin in this place. Let's go to uh, our something to learn, and, and uh, let's share this. Matthew focused on Joseph rather than on Mary, showing the likely intended Jewish audience for his gospel. 
The Jews would have needed to know that Jesus was from the house and the lineage of David because it fulfilled the heritage that had been prophesied for a Jewish Messiah. Also, the word Messiah in Greek is also called Christ. And so that's a way of saying that Jesus Christ is Jesus the Messiah. And so if you uh, kind of take a moment and look at that, it's, it's almost like it, be, it begins with all the begats. And if you go into Matthew and you say, oh, I'm going to read the New Testament, you begin to read the New Testament. It's not exactly great to begin in Matthew chapter 1 because as you do, there's a lot of names there. So-and-so begat so-and-so. So-and-so begat so-and-so. And on and on uh, in the King James Version. So let's go to our next slide. I believe it's another something to learn. It's those famous or infamous, really, Begets, and then we're introduced to an ordinary carpenter who was descended from a royal line. He's a man named Joseph. And in many ways, he's the forgotten part of the Christmas story. But I want us to take just a little bit of time today and focus on a man who the Heavenly Father chose to be the earthly father of Jesus Christ. Now, settle with that for just a moment. And if you could choose anybody in the world to be your son or daughter's father, who would you choose? And isn't it interesting that God the Father chose Joseph, a guy who we kind of almost forget about as his part of the Christmas story, to be the one who would raise his only begotten son. Now, I don't know about you, but as a father, as a parent, you can maybe identify ladies, I would feel incredibly, incredibly humbled and honored to say, wait, you're telling me that you want me to raise your son. I am overwhelmed and I am unworthy. Can I get an amen, right? That's how you would feel. But if you look at Joseph, we in some ways want to glorify so much about Mary and then forget about what Joseph was and what he stood for in Jesus' life. It is a powerful thing. So let's not forget this man that the Heavenly Father chose to be the earthly father of Jesus. So let's go on as we continue uh, in our next slide. This is important, and this is why I call attention to Matthew and all of those begats. This is also why I played that video of the Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. This is the fulfillment of Scripture that reaches all the way back, and, and Eric and I don't always talk about, well, we rarely talk about what I'm going to be preaching about going into this particular time that we have, but Eric was talking about all the prophecies and what a beautiful uh, prompting of the Spirit to remind all of us that over 300 times the Bible tells us about Jesus and who He would be and what His manner would be and where He'd be born and all of these different things, including the way that He would die for your sins and mine. All of these things prophesied in the Old Testament came true in one single human being, and it was Jesus. He's incredibly important. But in Jeremiah chapter 33, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant with day and my covenant with night, so that night and day will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne, and my covenant with the Levitical priests will no longer be my ministers, if you'll allow me to throw in that extra. In other words, when the Messiah comes, 
he will be from the Davidic line. Now, we think of the Davidic line or, or the, the line in House of David as being something very, very exalted. But what had happened was over the number of years, it became more and more and more ordinary and less and less and less royal and less and less revered. Are you guys with me? You all understand what I'm saying? And so when all of this is happening and these changes are beginning, you eventually come to the place where a man named Joseph, who is incredibly normal and ordinary and had just a very basic job as a carpenter, became somebody who was still in that royal line. But if you were a Jew, you knew this scripture. And if you were a Jew, it mattered who was Jesus' father and where did his line come from. Because when you start claiming to be the Messiah, you had better say that you were born in Bethlehem. You had better say that you were from the house and the lineage of David. If you guys understand, can y'all give me an amen? Amen? Okay, so you understand this is important. And so Joseph brings something to the table that we often forget. This is something incredibly important for the Jews, and this is the fulfillment of hundreds of scriptures over thousands of years for what Jesus, the Messiah, would do when he came and what he would fulfill. This is important. So, as we go on, we want to talk a little bit about who Joseph was. Not just simply a guy who had to be born into the right family, but he also had some characteristics that were really, really important. Now, let me just share this with you. As we look at Mary, and we look at her and her ability and her willingness to say, May it be unto me as you have said, I am the Lord's servant. You guys have probably heard that, right, before? And this is so important. That willingness to submit, that humbleness of spirit, that willingness to endure something that would never go away, some stigma that would never change for her entire life, was basically put before her and said, this is what I have for you. And she knew by accepting that she was basically taking on a stigma that would never, ever go away. She was a young woman who basically was betrothed. That means that she had a one-year period between the arranged marriage that was begun and the time where she would go and begin to live with her husband. And so that one-year period happens, and when that all happens is when she is found to be with child. It was incredibly scandalous at that time, unheard of. And that is something that was very, very powerful. And so she knew when the angel said, you will become pregnant, and she's like, hold up, that can't happen because I've never been with a man. And he says, no, no, no. It's not going to be a normal birth. It's going to be the virgin birth that was predicted by Isaiah back 750 years ago. Like, this is what's happening. And then immediately and interestingly, as God offers her the honor and yet also that double-edged sword that cuts towards honor as well as um, dishonor, if you can say it that way, she is willing and she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be unto me as you have said. You guys understand? She accepted it willingly, something that was going to cut both ways. Now, now is where I'm going to take just a moment and ask you, would you have said yes? 
Because the truth of the matter is, is that in many of our lives, we know this, that when we say yes to God, we are welcoming in something that might not always be wonderful or good in the kind of the view of people in our world, in our culture. We look at these things and we see them and judge them differently than God does. And yet, we also know that when we get alone with God, that feeds our soul. But then when we get out there in the world and other people have their say, and all those whispers that go on in the back, and nobody says it, but you know everybody's saying it, you know, that kind of thing. And in the midst of all of that, not only does Mary say, I am willing, but the one who is forgotten, Joseph, also says, I'm willing. Now, I'm going to just stop for a moment more, slow down just a moment more, and ask you, would you be willing to embrace that double-edged sword? You are going to be the earthly father of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. But for the rest of your life, there are going to be people that talk about your wife, that she is not pure and she is not good and she is not holy and that child is not even yours for the rest of your life that will be heard. Now, can you hear how difficult that would be? Now go even further and multiply that by five or ten times because back then and in that culture it was exponentially worse and exponentially seen as a dishonor in the way that they perceive things. I want to read something to you about Joseph's obedience. And this actually comes from Living Truth, a website that's based in Canada. Who knew Canada? You know, all right, come on, Canada. you got some good stuff to say. Let me just share this. And this is a little longer than normal, but I thought it was such a good um, reminder of who Joseph was and what he brings to the Christmas story. It says, what would you do if you discover that the person who is pledged to marry you is pregnant and you are not the baby's father. We may wonder how the conversation went when Joseph found Mary was with child. Legally, at the time of Joseph's discovery, they were already married because during that betrothal period I mentioned, in that culture and time, one was legally married when a pledge had been made even before they began to live together. And so that's why things are a little confusing when it says he had to divorce her. He thought about divorcing her uh, privately. So Joseph probably saw Mary and imagined the life that they would have together in the house that he may have been building, looking forward to the day that they would celebrate their marriage. But suddenly, because of Mary's disgrace, it would no longer happen. Hmm. I got to say... There are times that I, um, I, uh, I really get choked up about the things that we are going through with the health issues and stuff like that that Shelly is facing, that we are facing together. And by the way, I said this last week, I want to say it again, y'all have been absolutely amazing and incredible. Um, thank you so much for your support, for your love, for your reaching out to us. It means the absolute world. Um, if you guys don't know who we are and kind of where we come from, all of her family and all of my family live in Oklahoma City area for the most part. And we are here because this is where God has called us. And you guys are our family. And um, y'all have been amazing. And I thank you so much for that. I have, 
probably never felt the support that we have felt over the last few weeks, and I just want to say thank you. It's funny because um, at times I have this feeling of absolute joy in knowing that God is going to work everything out and everything's going to be just fine. And then there are a handful of times where I struggle and I fear. Have any of you guys ever experienced something like that? Maybe you were between jobs. Maybe you had a similar diagnosis or something like that. Some of that stuff happens and you have both the faith and the fear that abides inside of you. And one of the things that has been hardest for us is, is that we have a lot of plans together that we're just not 100% sure like we were before. And it's important that we know that none of us are given the promise that we won't have an automobile accident or whatever, something crazy might happen, but I guess you just kind of walk through life thinking that you've got it all figured out and then something like that happens and you're just reminded that you don't. Can I get an amen? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Amen? So, I'm looking at Joseph maybe through a different lens than I used to. And I, I promise you, I'm not trying in any way to take what, what we're going through and use this as currency for sermon material. I got more than enough. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a man. Uh, I'm, I'm just like you are. You're a human being. I'm a human being. And sometimes when this kind of stuff hits you, you're reminded how real the scriptures are. You know, it, it can feel like, oh, this is a story. But then you begin to look a little deeper and you begin to let that come alive. And you begin to think about what it felt like for Joseph to tell all of his friends, no, 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 Mary's really still a good person, but it's not my kid. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, no, she's been faithful, but it's not my child. Oh, okay. Like, all of these things make it start to come alive. And you realize that sometimes God's plan means your plan gets thrown out and you're on a new, a new path, sometimes incredibly quickly. And when that happens, when that happens, it's hard because you kind of almost have to grieve the death of what the, you thought you knew. Does that make sense? I don't know. Am I am I just talking here? I don't know. I hope I'm not just like rambling on and maybe can y'all just be my therapist for a moment here? Let's just talk here. The death of my plan means the embracing of God's plan. And that is absolutely critical. And as we look at Joseph and as we look at Mary, it's easy to look at them as super saints, but they were normal people and the death of their plan the embracing of God and vice versa. And that's really, really important because for you and for me, our lives are always going to be a choice as whether or not we will accept God's plan and allow ours to pass if that is where we are. And Joseph was willing just as Mary is willing. And most of the time, the things that God asks us to do will mean a sacrifice for us, but it will mean glory for Him. And that is a choice that He usually gives us rather than forces upon us. So, here's what we see. 
Joseph decided, and I'm back to this article, Joseph decided to divorce Mary in a manner that showed her grace and unmerited favor. Because according to Old Testament law, there is a way that he could have had her stoned for her dishonor of him. But instead, he took a different route. The story takes a turn when an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth to a son and you were to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. And Jesus is, um, it's, a, it's Yeshua, it's Joshua um, because he is going to lead his children into the promised land. So Joseph was being called by God to allow his reputation to be tainted alongside Mary's. This scandal probably hung over them for their whole married life, but Joseph and Mary were completely obedient to God's plan that would benefit the rest of humanity. What was it that enabled Mary and Joseph to face this dilemma caused by their obedience? The thing that may have kept them pressing on was the knowledge that God has come to save His people and they were given a unique role and function within God's plan. God's unmerited favor and grace toward them gave them the strength to walk in obedience. And then the prayer that they write at the end of this website article, Dear God Most High, what a reminder that my life is not my own. Help me to live in submission and obedience to your good and perfect will. And so it's an interesting thing here. If you really stop and think about what our culture feels about obedience, it's a funny thing because we don't actually value obedience. We look at it almost as um, a negative. We kind of look at it and go, oh, they are, they're obedient. I'll tell you that. You know, it's almost like a, a, a difficult thing that you have to say when you say, oh, they're obedient, it's a negative thing. And you've even heard it said, well, they just were following orders, they were just obeying, and it's always kind of couched in a negative way. But if you look at Joseph, the thing that jumps off the pages of the Scripture is that he was simply obedient to God. And this is funny, that we in our modern world have come to the place where we say, I will obey if I can understand. I will obey if I can understand. But the truth is, is that there are many times in your life and in mine that we will never understand until we obey. We must obey first and then understanding will follow that. But we often will not obey because we do not understand. And if I can just be honest, for most of us, we never put the two and two together that we have replaced God with ourselves. If we say to Him, I will only obey if I understand. Because that is you choosing what you will do rather than saying, God, whatever you will, I will do. So for most of us, it's a negative. We will understand and then we will obey. It is delayed obedience if we even get there at all. So it's important that we grasp that that's not Joseph, that's not Mary. They were willing to obey even though they did not fully understand. So let's talk about this for just a second. Let's go to the idea of parenting on slide number 13, if you don't mind. Now, how many of you guys, how many of you 
have kids in here. Can, can, uh, we're all, a lot of us are parents in here. How many times have your, par- have your kids gone through that thing where they ask you, but why? But why? Do y'all remember when they were in that stage, they had the 32 whys? You know, it's like, well, go down the road and do this thing or whatever. And you're, they're like, but why? Because this. But why? Because this. Why? Because this. Because what? Because I told you so, right? You finally get there. We all do, right? And and there's no judgment here, okay? We're not going to talk about it. But eventually you're like, look, I have things that I have going that you don't understand. There are things that you can't mentally assent to yet. And it's hard when they're a teenager because they think they know a lot more than they actually know. Now, let's not be too hard on them because you were a teenager once and you thought, what, that you knew a lot more, or am I talking to only like the smartest teenagers ever or were y'all dumb like me? Because I was terrible. I thought I knew it all and I knew nothing, right? So when all that stuff is happening, it's the but why, but why, but why, but why? Let me understand before I choose to obey. Joseph, Mary, both immediately embraced. And we praised Mary for it, but we've forgotten that Joseph showed an incredible amount of obedience as well. Now, let's talk about the big idea real quickly. Here's our big idea. I hope lies not in understanding all things, but our obedience in all things. God has a plan for your life that is only fully realized and comes to full bloom when you say, God, I will obey even when I do not understand. And can I just say something else? When we do not understand and yet we choose to obey, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but to me, that is faith. That is the absolute essence of faith. I will act as God has commanded me because I believe that God has my good in mind or has a greater plan than I can fathom or understand in mind. So I will act even when I do not yet obey. That is an exercise of faith. If you guys understand what I'm saying, y'all, y'all know what I'm saying there? It's faith. It's faith that God's plan is bigger than me. It's faith that God has stuff going on that I can't get yet. It's faith that I will understand later, even though I do not understand now. And there was a great quote by Philip Yancey that said, Faith is believing in advance what will only make sense when seen in reverse. And I have loved that quote ever since I read it for the very first time. That is what faith is. You don't understand, but you obey. And then you begin to see God's hand at work. I believe that is what faith is all about. So, can we say the big idea together as we kind of kind of sit for just a moment? Our hope lies not in understanding all things, but our obedience in all things. All right, you guys ready? On the count of three, ready? One, two, three. Our hope lies not in understanding all things, but our obedience in all things. Because God's got a bigger plan than yours and mine. So who is Jesus in this passage that we read, uh, that Tiffany shared with us? Who's Jesus in this passage? He is, uh, on the next slide, please. Um, He is the fulfillment of all those prophecies of God. He fulfilled God's promise to David's lineage and family to always have a ruler on the throne of Israel. He brings it all to light, and He brings it all to conclusion. Now, 
I want to take a minute, and in some ways, it almost is going to feel like a detour. But how many of you guys know what continu- a continuum is, a line of continuum? You guys know what a continuum is? If you don't, I want to put up a slide, and I want you to check it out. There is a, a continuum line, and you can see one says I'm all the way out, and one says I'm all the way in. You guys understand? Okay. Now, there's, <laughs> there are differences. There, If you're in on this or out on that or whatever, I'm not going to go through a bunch of them, but this is very, very important. This is happening a lot in your life or in mine. And let's go to our next slide, and we're going to kind of click through these in a minute. But you can see, you can say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe not all the way in, but I'm probably 50% in. Or you're like, well, I'm not maybe all the way in, but I'm 50% out or whatever. And so this is important to grasp and understand because usually this is happening in our lives, and we don't put the two and two together until we really stop and slow down and think about it. Because most of the time, you and I are going one direction versus the other, not just simply saying, well, you know, I'm making one choice, but I'm just as close on the other. Here's what I mean. If you go to this next slide here, if you are 50% unhealthy, that means that you are a long way from being 50% healthy. Because go to our next slide, there's a lot of space in between those two lines. Whether you're like, well, I, I'm, I'm kind of not the worst parent in the whole world, but I'm not a good parent. I'm kind of towards a terrible parent. Or you say, well, I'm towards a great parent. Or maybe I'm very bad to others, then that means that you're not on the other end of that continuum. It's going in separate directions. Or you're obedient or disobedient to those things that have been commanded to you. And I want to go to our next slide here. Notice how far the distance is between those two lines. For many of us, if you've ever heard that whole thing, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Have you all heard that before? So what is happening? In other words, if you're not going in this direction, you're probably sliding backwards in the other direction. Here's what I would share with you and with me. For many of us, we are not obeying God actively. And so because of that, we're drifting towards disobedience. And we're even further than we realize because we're on the other end of the continuum going in the wrong direction. So for many of us, we would never kind of characterize ourselves as being rebellious against God. But when you and I refuse to obey or say, God, I'll get there eventually when I'm ready or when I understand, we are going more towards rebellion than we are towards obedience. And the distance between those two is a long ways. If you guys understand where I'm coming from, you all understand? So this is important for us to grasp. The long line is taking us away from where we want to be. We need to be very, very careful. Let's keep moving as we go on. And you go on here and you see these different things as we share. So let's go to our next slide. And let's talk a little bit about Joseph and how he went all the way towards disobedience, walking away from rebellion and going in the opposite direction altogether. So let's talk about this. Here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 through 21, but as he considered these things, the angel of the Lord appears. And I want you to hear the two commands or the two directions that the angel gives him. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. 
For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. As you look at that, do you see the two directions that he's given? The two instructions that he's given? He says, take Mary as your wife, and then when she has a baby, you as the father are going to be asked, what is his name? You're going to have the privilege and honor to name him. And instead of naming him Joseph like you want to because your name is Joseph, instead, name him Jesus. And so what happens? He takes Mary as his wife, despite all the negatives. And then when the baby is born, he says his name is what? Jesus. So two moments of obedience in one dream as he moves forward. Let's go to our next slide, if you don't mind. I want you to notice this. Joseph's obedience begins here. Take Mary as a wife. Name him Jesus. And then I want to share with you another part. And I had this written out for you, but I wanted to share it with you just straight from the Scriptures over in Matthew 2. I told you that I would get there. Here I am. So it says in here, Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This is another dream, a second dream. And said, rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. And so he rose and he went and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there till the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had said by the prophet out of Egypt I had called my son. And then on down, and then verse 19, But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph, that's the third dream, saying, Rise and take the child and his mother. Go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And so he rose and he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a, guess what? Another dream, that's four. He withdrew to the district of Galilee. He went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken of the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Four separate dreams, five different instructions. Joseph said, yes, 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 yes. You asked me to do this, this is what I will do. You told me to go there, this is where I will go. You said this was his name, this is his name on and on and over and over and over. It's obedience without understanding. But obedience that pays huge dividends in the plan of God. So, here's the thrill of hope as we go here. Thrill of hope, there are a couple of things, and I believe that's on slide number 24 and I think 25, but let's just see. There's two thrills of hope. Let's try this one. The thrill of hope for Joseph was Mary hasn't walked away from me. She is still the woman that I hope that she was. So he has that thrill of hope that Mary is who he had hoped she was. But he obeyed and realized. And I'm sure he had already decided, already said, I will take her before he ever even heard her side of the story. That's what the Bible tells us. And isn't that beautiful? He didn't need to investigate. He already had his marching orders and he was going to do those things. God was inexplicably taking away his reproach and Israel's reproach, reproach with one single birth. And then secondly, the thrill of hope was that he was chosen by God. 
he had a royal name and a pretty common life. He had a royal name, but a common life that God pulled from obscurity and said, yes, but you're the one that I will choose to raise my son. He became famous, and we know his name. And in many ways, almost on par with the Old Testament Joseph, we know the name Joseph as the, the, the father of Jesus. Greatness was not determined by the things that were seen in Joseph's life, but the things that he had inside of him going on. Now, here is where I'm going to go to that detour. In our world, it is so much more important for you and for me to seem to be something than to actually be something. Our reputation matters more than our character in many ways. But God is telling us, and we have the hope that instead of worrying about what other people can think about us, all we really need to do is just simply follow in obedience and let all the chips fall where they may. Because just as with Mary and just as with Joseph, they were the people that they were supposed to be. And other people had opinions, but they were incorrect, weren't they? Why? Because God didn't call us to please other people. He called us to follow His plan. Now, here's what I want to share with you. Your kids are gone, many of them back in the back. I want to just tell you something. Our world is more and more hazardous for our kids than it's ever been before because they have to care not only what their peers think in their peer group, not only what those who think in their high school group, but those who live halfway around the world might have an opinion about your son or daughter because of something that was posted on social media. I'm going to tell you, thank God that social media did not exist when I was a teenager because I could not have handled that whole idea of what other people thought of me when I was 15 years old, when I was 13 years old, or whatever it might have been. So I have grown up in a place where I had people telling me, Randy, it's about your character, not about your, uh, uh, your reputation or what other people might think of you. And it has served me well to give me a foundation that I don't have to worry about pleasing a billion or six billion other people, right? So here's what I would share with you. In our world, this continuum going in two separate directions, you were encouraged to be little, but seem to be much. And in God's economy, He does not care what other people think, but He cares instead about the person that you are. The beautiful thing in this thrill of hope is, is that it does not matter what others think. It matters what the audience of one has to say about you, and that is the God who loves you enough to die for you, wants to know what kind of character are you on the inside, not what other people perceive you to be. For me, that's a thrill, because I cannot please, shoot, I can't please five or ten people, much less 500 or a thousand people, right? So I only have to please one, and that is the God who loves me. Let's keep moving here very quickly. As we move to our very end, as we go to our next slide as well, if you don't mind. So, you know what? I think I'm done. Let's just go to the I Apply By, if you don't mind. And thank you. Hey, it's not been as crazy as I thought it was. Alicia, thank you for hanging in there with me. The I Apply By. And can we do the, the slide uh, just after that with the iceberg as well? 
first of all, you identify where you are on that, uh, that continuum of character versus perception. And I think of Joseph, and I think of what we talk about around here. They say that about 80 to 85% of an iceberg is not seen and visible, but it is underneath the surface. And those things that we talk about many times in our world are all surface things. But we can be more than we appear on the surface, but it takes hard work, it takes deep work, and it is the kind of work that is actually going to pay you back and pay me back with that character that God wants to see developed in us. So I encourage you, be kind of like an iceberg in that there's more to you than meets the eye. There is more to you and to me than meets the eye. I look at at Matthew's account of Joseph and I realize this man was nothing special in those people's eyes, but in God the Father's eyes, the one who counts, he saw him as obedient, he saw him as special. He saw him as royal, not because of what he was wearing or where he lived, but because what he was on the inside matched what God had asked him to do and to be. Let's check out this video, one kind of connected to the idea and the concept of come that long expected Jesus. So let's check out that uh, together if we can. I mean it, Delilah. This whole trip is ridiculous, and you know it. Oh, well, how's that again? How's 90 miles with my pregnant wife for one? You're not the smoothest ride ever. No offense. What if she starts contracting on the way? Yes. In fact, I am throwing myself a pity party, and you're invited to stop complaining about it. Head-counting nonsense. The truth is, and I'm only telling you this, under ordinary circumstances, I would love to make the trip back to Bethlehem. I'll see my family again, my, my uncles, my cousins, of course, and now, how am I supposed to explain all this? Mary, Mary, needed an angel to explain it to her. I needed a divine dream to get it. So what am I supposed to do when I get to Bethlehem, huh? Break the ice over some matzah? What is my family going to say when they see Mary and I together? And she looks... <laughs> Doesn't matter. We have to make the trip to Bethlehem because I, way, way back, I'm related to a king. What do you mean I don't look like I have royal blood? It's true. I'm related to a king. And she is about to give birth to a king. And... Um, 
You said marry her. So I did. You said, name him Jesus, so I will. You said. You said he would be the Son of God. Your Son. You are too good to us, Lord. What was impossible to me still seems so impossible. So, girl, you will be carrying Mary, and Mary will be carrying the Son of God. And I will be carrying a lot. A lot to process. This little pity party thing stays between us, okay? Jesus born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us, let us find our rest in thee.